This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Muslims were murdered during worship in New Zealand, Christians massacred in Sri Lanka during Eastern services, and Jews were attacked during Passover in a synagogue in the United States. At first glance, all three atrocities seem linked because of the religious nature of the victims, but there is one significant difference. Only one killing occurred as an expression of religious faith, that of the Christians in Sri Lanka. The other killings were by single individuals blinded by irrational hatred. Christians and Jews cannot kill for their faith. They can only die for it. That's not true of some Muslims. Islamic and Arab history expert Dr. Timothy Furnish and I explore the situation on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. The North Carolina State Senate has voted to override Governor Roy Cooper's veto of a bill to protect newborn babies from infanticide. State Senate Bill 359 would require abortion workers to provide the same level of medical care to an infant born alive from a botched abortion that they would for any other infant born at the same gestational age. It also would require the infant to be transferred to a hospital for further care. Health workers would also be required to report these instances to authorities. Abortion workers who violate the measure could face felony charges. Cooper, a pro-abortion Democrat who has the support of Planned Parenthood, vetoed the bill. Republicans picked up enough Democrat votes to override the veto on a 30-20 to 20 vote. Louisiana would follow other conservative states in seeking to ban abortions if a fetal heartbeat is detected typically around the sixth week of pregnancy, under a bill that took its first steps yesterday in the state Senate. Senators on a Judiciary Committee voted 5-2 to two to advance that proposal to the full Senate for consideration, but they rewrote the measure by Senator John Malkovich so the prohibition would only take effect if federal appeals court uphold similar laws in Mississippi. Malkovich, a Keithville Democrat, objected to the link to the Mississippi law, saying that efforts to lessen or eliminate abortion are worth any expense or litigation. Ohio, Kentucky, and Mississippi have enacted heartbeat bill bans this year, with lawmakers considering it in several others, according to the New York-based Guttmacher Institute, an abortion rights research organization. Georgia legislators also passed a similar bill and are awaiting action from Governor Brian Kemp, who is expected to sign it. A new state law makes it easier for college students to take time off for religious holidays in Washington state. Governor Jay Inslee signed a Senate bill into law on Monday, making Washington the first state requiring that institutions of higher education provide academic accommodations to students who need them for religious observances. This includes rescheduling exams and permitting absences so long as a student notifies a professor of the needed accommodation within the first two weeks of class. College professors will also be required required to add information about religious accommodations to the syllabuses. Violent attacks against U.S. Jews doubled in 2018, according to the Anti-Defamation League's yearly audit of anti-Semitic incidents. Yet the report, which was published days after a synagogue shooting in Poway, California that killed one woman and injured three other people, shows that despite the grim spike in violence against Jews, physical assaults remained relatively rare. Anti-Semitic harassment and vandalism are far more common. ADL has tracked anti-Semitic incidents for the past four decades, with occasional slight drops like this year's five 
5.5 decline, the number of incidents has trended steeply upward since 2016. This is World Lutheran News Digest. The work by the Wilongasi Lutheran Firehawan. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The world saw two horrific incidents in recent weeks. In New Zealand, a lone madman murdered over 50 people worshiping at a mosque. In Sri Lanka, more than 250 Christians were murdered while worshiping at church on Easter Sunday. What's going on here? Why do we have these these raids, these these rages, and what is the difference between the way the media and society has responded to them? And there are some significant differences. My guest today is Dr. Timothy Furnish, who's not only a Lutheran, a LCMS Lutheran, but he's also an expert in Islamic history and Arabic history. Dr. Furnish, welcome to the program. How you doing, Kip? Well, I tell you, it's been one heck of a couple of weeks here viewing the news. It's insane, absolutely insane. Okay, by the way, excuse me, the death toll, I believe, has gone over 350 now. Oh, really? I thought the Sri Lankan yeah. government had, had down... Had, uh, down. Oh, okay, I didn't see that. There was a, I saw a story yesterday, it was 351, but maybe the Sri Lankan government has changed that. But anyway, it's horrific, and it is, as you point out, at least five times a higher death toll than what happened at the month in New Zealand. It was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. We have... Two incidents here of obviously religiously d- directed terrorism, but there are some significant differences, I think, between the two instances. Can you explore that? Well, I'm not sure that they're both religious, Kip. I know that people try to claim this. Uh, the, 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 uh, the shooter at the Christchurch Mosque, who was a self-described white supremacist, I believe actually from Australia, that had come over from New Zealand, a guy named Brenton Tarrant, put out sort of a, uh, you know, a an eclectic, rambling missive of a uh, of a manifesto. I guess it was like soon after the shootings, and I read through some of it, and it it clearly has no coherent ideology. And in fact, at one point, besides saying he hopes to stoke uh, you know a reaction against immigrants in the West and particularly in the United States, he, I mean, he even said in that thing that his um, his his target was actually the United States because, of course, the global preeminence of the United States, particularly in the English-speaking world. But he says at one point in that, in that manifesto that his, uh, the, the ideological or governmental system that he is most enamored of is the People's Republic of China. So I'm not sure how religious this was. I mean, it, it seems to have been more sort of white supremacist, anti-immigrant than it was religious. I mean, uh, the media has tried to make it out that any time a white person does something, it's somehow automatically Christian, which, of course, is absurd. I mean, I've I've blogged on this at length uh, a number of times, and, and this is important to understand what's going on. The left and most of the mainstream media, as well as many of the political parties, left and left of center in the United States and, and in Europe, and by extension places like Australia and New Zealand, have taken and run with this idea that is, that is absurd on its face, that Christianity is a white religion and Islam is a religion of dark-skinned people. In fact, if you go look at my website, Occidental Jihadist, I had a long blog post on this last year called, Is Islam Really the New Black? And I talked about this. A huge percentage, of course, of the world's Christians live in Africa, as well as in places like China. Uh, and and uh, other than a few places in Africa, it's predominantly not white. Go look at the Lutherans in Tanzania, in Ethiopia, or the uh, heavy Catholic populations of Nigeria and Angola and other places in Africa. In fact, one of the leading contenders to be the next pope is, is, is Cardinal Sarah, 
who was from Guinea. And so it, it's it, it, the propaganda, and I'm not exactly sure of the origins of this, but the propaganda that, this, that Islam is a religion of the darker-skinned people and Christianity is a religion of white people, it's absurd. I mean, as you and I have spoken about at some point in the past, I went to Iran about a decade ago. I've been to Turkey a number of times. There are a lot of people in those countries that would be, certainly be classified as white. Right, go look at a picture of the Ayatollahs. Besides looking like a Saruman edition from Lord of the Rings, they're rather pale-faced. So, so you've got this whole mythology that Christianity is a white religion, and anything that any sort of white extremist like, like this Tarrant fellow does, particularly against people who are uh, of another religion, or, and particularly, specifically, uh, Muslim, it's automatically somehow... It's either President Trump's fault or the fault of the Christian world or probably some nefarious combination of the two, which is just absurd. Okay, so you often hear the term in the news, particularly applied to, to, to Islamic terrorists, terrorists who claim to be and operating in the name of Islam, that they're lone wolves, lone wolves, I guess I should say, the proper, the proper plural. This guy clearly does seem to be a lone wolf because despite efforts by many leftist groups like, for instance, the largely now discredited, thank God, Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah, the idea that any Islamic attack are automatically lone wolf ones, they have nothing to do with any larger coherent body of thought, in this case, of course, Islam. I mean, we, we hear that all the time. I mean, groups that put this out, like the fomentous idea, and the idea, uh, sort of the ancillary idea, that um, uh, in the terrorism realm, that, that, that so-called white nationalists or white militias or right-wing militias are as big or bigger a threat to people's peace and security than Islamic groups, which is, of course, patently absurd. We look at Sri Lanka, which is predominantly a, a Buddhist country, not even Muslim, yes. not Christian. Those are minorities. And yet the attacks that were perpetrated in Sri Lanka were done by Muslims. There's no, there's no secret about that. And in fact, it was a conspiracy. There were numerous people involved in those attacks. Yes. And the motivating ideology behind the conspiracy was a fundamentalist view of Islam. As I've repeatedly said on your show when you've had me on, when we talk about this issue, and the, the number actually keeps creeping up. What I'm talking about is the number, if you go look, go Google um, U.S. State Department transnational terrorist groups. And in fact, we just said that just a week or two ago, you may have seen this in the news, the Trump administration added a group to this, the Islamic Republican Guards Corps, which is the uh, sort of the special forces Praetorian Guard group. Uh, that's 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 tasked with um, upholding the Ayatollah's rule in Iran and trying to foment problems abroad. The number of Islamic groups that are on the uh, transnational terrorist group is now over three quarters, something like seventy six percent. You can go through the group, and there might I have the list sitting here on my desk because I refer to it in a number of things I do. Where I think there's like one or two groups on there that may be classified as right wing white nationalists, and I think one of them is Greek, some strange group that doesn't really do much anymore, but they put it on there. So, yes, you nailed it initially in your, in your quick assessment. We have, on the one hand, one-off guys. Like, it's like, for instance, remember the media kept trying to claim that the shootings a couple years ago in Las Vegas were somehow some white right-wing nationalist thing. And, and as far as we could tell, the guy that did shooting, I mean, first of all, he was shooting people at a country music concert, so... Um, by the media's own definition, that would seem to not work. No one ever really found out what that shooter's motivations were. But but the media, because because it was done by a white guy, they automatically chalk it up to white nationalism. And it's just ridiculous. There is no, if you count up the number of people that belong to something like the Klan, 
and the you know the the the, the, the neo Nazi parties in the United States. The numbers in the thousands, the low thousands. But there there are many 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 more terrorist groups. Even if you don't, if you just subtract out the, the specific terrorist groups and not try to you know include Muslims as a whole and, and, and identify their ideological um, proclivities. There are hundreds of thousands, if not in the low millions of people, that belong to these sorts of groups. And of course, yes, there is a coherent, rational ideology behind them that motivates them, whether they're in San Bernardino or Chattanooga or Orlando, you know, of course, the, the locations of, of recent killings in the United States by Islamic terrorists, or whether they're in Sri Lanka or, uh, you know, Iraq or Afghanistan or, or Paris, for that matter. What motivates these people, what holds them together, is not allegiance to ISIS. It's not something that narrow. I mean, they, they're probably motivated by ISIS. They admire ISIS. But how do they get to that point of wanting to kill people that aren't Muslims and believing that that gives them a one-way ticket to heaven? Because this is the mainstream teaching of the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of Islamic scholars and Islamic texts over the years. And so this is why you have, you have globally... A movement. Now, thank God it is only a minority of the world's Muslims, but you have a minority, a minority of 1.6 billion people. It's still a large number of people, unfortunately. But basically, yes, there is a coherent ideology behind the Sri Lanka attacks, behind what goes on in Iraq, what's going on in Syria, you know, what happened in San Bernardino, what, happens in, what happened in Paris a few years ago, and that is the not radical, not extremist, but the mainstream violent idea in Islam that the whole world should be subjugated to Islam, and if it's not, they pay the price. And also we've seen, we've seen very different reactions from the world in, in the wake of the mosque slayings. Expressions of, of solidarity came from all over the world. The uh, New Zealand Prime Minister wore a hijab. New Zealand radio aired the Arabic uh, call to prayer, and it was very much in sympathy with what had happened there, with the killings. But when the Christians were killed, and as you pointed out, five or six times as many were killed in what was obviously a conspiracy, I'm hearing crickets. Exactly. Yeah, in fact, I made a remark to my wife right after I heard about the killings, um, you know, on Easter, said, I wonder if, um, if uh, any Western leaders... Will bond or even now reaching for a crucifix to put around their neck in solidarity with the Sri Lankan um, killings? Who, by the way, one might note, were brown Christians. Again, not that I care, but the West seems to be obsessed with this idea. As I said earlier, that Christianity is a white religion. That would certainly be news to the Sri Lankan Christians. Yes, as a little context you were talking about earlier. The, the island of Sri Lanka, the island of Ceylon, the republic's called Sri Lanka. It's that, that large island off the coast of the southern southeast coast of India, about 70% Buddhist, 12% Hindu, and they're 9 or 10% each, or maybe a little bit less, Muslim and Christian. And it did have a long-going terrorist, basically sort of civil war insurgency uh, for a decade or decade and a half in the 90s up into the 2000s, well, actually up to the 2000s, between, there was a group called the Tamil Tigers that were on a terrorist list for a long time. And it, it was, to some degree, religious. It was the Hindu minority fighting against the Buddhist majority supported by India, but a lot of it was simply ethnic. The Tamils are, are, are different ethnically. I guess they're more like the people from India, and they're descended from um, people that had come over from India years ago. So you had a lot of that. 
and it was a pretty violent terrorist movement that got taken under control. But now the Muslim population there, at least some of them, have basically become fundamentalist Muslims, like this group that was blamed, and I think this is correct, the group that was blamed for the attacks, called Tawheed Jama'af. Tawheed Jama'af is basically the, I guess, that whatever language that is, um, Tamil, or I'm not sure which language that is in that part of Sri Lanka, it's Tawheed Jama'at. In Arabic, Tawheed Jama'at means uh, unity organization. Tawheed is a prominent idea of not just terrorists, but of fundamentalist Muslims, of literalist Muslims, take the Quran and, uh, literally, and it means, it means strict monotheism. And Tawheed is often contraposed to, of course, the alleged Trinitarian, you know, the alleged uh, idolatry that we Christians practice, because the Muslims teach that Christians believe in three different deities, which, of course, we know is not correct, but that's what they're taught. So what happens is, once you have these fundamentalist ideas, and again, they're, they're mainstream in Islamic history over the last 1,400 years, if you hold those ideas, it is not that hard to then start getting material from, hooking up with online, even personally with people that say you should basically uh, you know, actualize those beliefs. This would be people from ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all those other different groups. And then this is what happened. Uh, the leader of this group, who I did this all a little while ago, was probably killed in the attacks. Basically, they had sworn allegiance to ISIS. But you don't just swear allegiance to ISIS unless, again, the ground has already been laid by you have already subscribed to a fundamentalist view of Islam. So why the Western reaction? Well, for example, or, I'm, I'm or thinking, I'm thinking uh, in, in the wake of, uh, of the uh, New Zealand incident, I, be I believe it was Hillary Clinton, had specifically mentioned the fact that there were Muslims and that they were attacked by, uh, by a white supremacist. In the Sri Lankan attack, she couldn't even call them Christians. They were Easter worshippers, and no mention whatsoever of the people who attacked her. Right, and Barack Obama did the same thing, which when we saw this, uh, my wife said, oh, I, they must have the same PR group, which they probably do, or they just copy each other because Hillary, you know, copies Obama and a lot of things. I actually have those here. Anyway, but basically, yeah, you're exactly right. They both tweeted out, both Obama and, and uh, Hillary Clinton tweeted out, for instance, when, when the Christchurch attacks happened, that they stand in solidarity with Muslims, and this anti-Muslim, here it is, and this anti-Muslim um, uh, violence must not stand, uh, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> uh, here's Hillary's Clinton. Hillary Clinton's tweet. My heart breaks for New Zealand and the global Muslim community. Of course, this is the Christchurch attack. We must continue to fight the perpetuation and normalization of Islamophobia and racism in all its forms. White supremacist terrorists must be condemned by leaders everywhere, as if they're not. Their murderous hatred must be stopped. And then here's her tweet after the Sri Lanka killings, which again, as you pointed out, killed at least five times as many people. On this holy weekend, for many faiths, we must stand united against hatred and violence. I'm praying for everyone affected by today's horrific attacks on Easter worshipers and travelers in Sri Lanka. Yeah, And Obama basically said virtually the same thing. His of Christchurch was, Michelle and I stand in unity with the, with the Islamic community. And then after Christchurch, Easter worshipers. Yeah. So what's going on here? This is part and parcel of the left, and in this case, in the United States, the Democratic Party has moved quite far left years, and if one doesn't believe me, just listen to the, the legion of people running for president on the Democrat side and see what their latest policy proposals are. 
things that would have been roundly condemned by Democrats throughout the 20th century and early into the 20th century, 21st century, are now mainstream in the Democrat Party, to include socialism. But basically what's happened, and you've got to look at some Pew data to understand some of this, Kip. I was looking at some of this the other day. The largest single cohort of demographic, the largest single demographic cohort, I should say, in the Democratic Party now is, and this is probably no surprise to you, people that don't believe in any religion. I mean, there's, it's something like, I, it's slightly ahead of people that are actually Christians. I mean, there's still a large number of Christians in the Democrat Party. Of course, many of them are mainstream left churches. But the largest single cohort in the Democratic Party now is, is no belief, none, all right? The Democrat leadership has to basically assuage that group. That group, and this is a whole different discussion, which I shan't get into, but it's there someday if we want to do it. That group believes that Christians are oppressors. Christians are only and ever, always, eternally, amen, oppressors, because many of these people don't know much about history. Therefore, the leadership of the party, basically, is playing to that. Plus, the Democrats have basically convinced themselves, still, that the way to win back uh, the White House and to keep political power, gain back political power in the United States, is by their old policy of uniting various and sundry minorities. Now, they happen to include, under this, Muslims. Although Muslims make up less than 1% of the American population, three to three and a half million. But for some reason, they include them in this. And there are much larger strands of thought in this, I think. The two big ones, really, sort of, if you want to look at the, the huge sort of historical background of this, is you go back to the Enlightenment with people like Voltaire, you know, the Enlightenment that started with France, but of course greatly influenced our modern society, including the founding of the United States, the first secular republic in history. The idea that, there sh that, that you shouldn't force religion on people because many of the Enlightenment thinkers thought that, of course, when they said religion, they didn't mean Islam or Hinduism or something. They meant Christianity. They meant the government should not impose Christianity on people, and people should be free to choose not just which branch of Christianity they want to belong to, which, of course, is what came out of the Reformation, but people should be able to, should be free to choose no religion whatsoever. And, and this, this is metastasized, particularly in the 20th century, and here into the 21st, in the West, because of the addition of Marxism. Marxism, certainly neo-Marxism, has made heavy inroads into the left and the Democratic Party in this country, certainly, maybe not as far as in Europe, but, but, but made heavy inroads. And the idea in Marxism, of course, is what? One of the primary ideas of Marxism is that religion is bad, particularly Christianity. And so uh, when you have a party, the parties have basically become, not only have the Democratic have the Democrats become, as I said, clearly much more, not that everyone in it is, uh, is irreligious, but it has become much more heavily weighted toward the irreligious. The Republicans, on the other hand, have become more full of uh, religious people. And there was actually a study I saw the other day, this is on stream.org, which, by the way, I'm writing regularly about weekly for that organization, if anyone wants to check it out online, the stream, S-T-R-E-A-M.org. They had a very good article based on a study that showed that of 27 major American denominations, a number of them, I think it was like 20 of them, including the LCMS, had become more conservative in recent years. So that was interesting. But basically, basically what Hillary and Obama are doing is just reflecting, you know, they're telling sort of the itching ears of their constituencies what they want to hear. And they don't want to hear 
that Christians are victims, because they are convinced that Christians can only be oppressors and persecutors. And so this is a large reason why you get these sort of tweets and reactions in general, I should say. Well, Doctor, we're running out of time. Uh, I'm afraid that you have painted a rather gloomy picture, and uh, regrettably it reinforces pretty much what I was thinking. I could pray that it, things will improve in the future, but I just don't know. Well, let me let me say something that's a little less gloomy, Kip, which is that I voted for the man who's currently in the Oval Office, and I don't think he's the best human being in the world. But one thing I have learned from history is that God can use people who aren't very good people to do things that are good. And I can name you a lot of people in history like that from Constantine on up. So we have a president that has done things that has actually turned some of this around. I mean, under President Obama, the majority of refugees that were being brought into this country were Muslims. Now, <clears throat> I know that a lot of Muslims around the world are persecuted, and I know that not all of them were terrorists. But the most persecuted group of people on the face of this planet, which is rather ironic since we are the largest religion in the world, is Christians. People particularly persecuted in the Middle East are Christians. And under this president, excuse me, the number of Christian refugees coming to this country has risen substantially, and it is now above the number of Muslim refugees. I think that's good. You know, and the president has done a number of other things that, that, that show that although he himself is not exactly a stellar Christian. I shan't throw stones because I know what Christ said about that. But I think he has done a lot of things to kind of turn some of this stuff around. I mean, for instance, notice that ISIS no longer has a territorial caliphate. They've devolved back into a terrorist group and still going to cause problems. But they no longer have a territory the size of Indiana that they can launch operations from and terrorize people within. And that is because of President Trump. So despite the imperfect vessel that he is, Things are looking up under him. Well, Dr. Furtis, I want to thank you very much for giving us your insight into this. I value it very much, and uh, God bless you for your efforts. Well, thank you, Kip. I appreciate it. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.